Welcome to the Thunderstock Show. My goal is simple. Discuss topics that matter to your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. My hope is that these brainstorms provide you the utmost value. On today's show, we have a special guest, Jake Kelly. Jake Kelly is a kickboxer. He's an entrepreneur. He's a fashion mogul. And he's an all-around cultural influencer, recently relocated back to central Pennsylvania. I hope you enjoy the show, and if you do, please like, subscribe, and share. Jay Kelly is on the Thunderstock show. Welcome, man. Thank you, Ross. I appreciate it. For those that are listening and can't see, Jake now has short hair. The last time I saw him, he had very long hair. Part of that may be uh, you're back in Pennsylvania. Yes. Part of that may be you're back in the ring. Yes. Kickboxing. Yes. Needed a change. Three years. Three years of hair growth. Three years of pain. It's gone. Symbolically, no more. No more. I'm free. Like, the, <laughs> like Kanye said, and nothing hurts anymore. I feel kind of free. Very good. So speaking of Kanye, you're a renaissance man in so many words. Yes, sir. I... When we talk about off the camera, what do we want to talk about during this podcast? There's a lot we could say, but when it, as it pertains to valuable brainstorms that enrich people's life, liberty, and pursuit of property, you have been uh, one of the people I think that has embodied that philosophy of just full sending, betting on yourself, and uh, chasing the dream, if you will. Hundred percent. So, and. I mean, we could say Kanye, but I guess uh, we're supposed to call him Ye. You know, legally changed his name now. If we're going to be speaking about him publicly, we should probably address him as Ye. But, yeah, when I when I first heard his music in the third grade, that was when I was first introduced to him. And pretty much ever since I, I first encountered that man and his ideas and the message that he was putting forward, I, I never turned back. And... I don't know, whenever there's just a difficult decision I have to make in my life, when I feel like I'm at a crossroads and it's, you know, you got to choose this path or, or this path and you don't really know how it's going to go, I just, you know, I, I think, man, he's taken, he's taken massive risks in his life. He's always bet on himself and, I mean, the position that he's at right now, I, I respect it 100% and I support everything that he says and does and, you know, I would just, uh, I would hope to be even an ounce of, the man that he is in the future, you know? I mean, artistically put, you're you're an artist in your own respect, but I feel like if we're going to talk about public personas that have been influential or at least have some similarity in your career, um, you're... <laughs> to, another one would be Andrew Tate, right? So yes. in, a, in a similarity, you're on the kickboxing warpath right now. Correct. So we can start there in the conversation. Absolutely. I'm, I first met Jake at Gracie 717 through the MMA kickboxing program. And I think you were 16 at the time. Yeah, 15, 16. Started training. I mean, doing boxing in the basement with my brother when I was 9, 10 years old. But really started taking it serious when I was about 13, 14 years old. Started kickboxing at MBJ Athletics in Delaware. And then that progressed into training full-time at Gracie 717 in Lancaster. And at 15, 16, Jake was probably still 6'2", 6'3". <laughs> and I was completely maxed out height at 5'7 and a half legally. And uh, I was you know, making my, my amateur MMA career. And I just remember 
like, hey, spar with Jake, who is, I believe, a sophomore or junior in high school at the time. Yeah. First I, kickboxing fight at 15 years old, second at 16, third at 17, 3-0 respectively, and about to have my fourth right now at 24 years old. So one of the conversations, because we talked a lot about this, I was in digital marketing as a career path at the time, and Jake going in, you know, ending high school, going into college was, you know, would talk to me like, hey, I know you're in marketing and I have this idea, I have this dream to go out to LA and pursue, I believe it was, you know, making your own clothing brand. Correct. And I said, I think the words I said to Jake were, well, when you're my age, 10 years from now, which will you regret not doing? And the conversation was basically either stay local, wrestle, continue the path that you are kind of quote-unquote predestined to be on or the opinion of others wanting you to be on or do the path that you chose. And, uh, yeah, you went to L.A. I had to, correct, I had to make my own decision. Like you said, I didn't I didn't want to be the person who, you know, when I'm either the age I'm at right now, 24, or whether I'm 34 or 44, I didn't want to ever look back at my life and regret anything. So... Yeah, I mean, I was always interested in clothes from when I was young, whether that was in skateboarding culture or when I started getting into streetwear or more high fashion or more hip-hop-centered things and just seeing the style. That's what I, I more was drawn to, more personal style and the style of things and how people dressed. I've never been a super brand-heavy person. Like I never really cared if someone was wearing Gucci or Balenciaga or Balmain or anything like that. It was more... You could put a fit together. I respect it. Didn't matter the, the logo or the brand. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And when I finally, when I realized that you could actually make clothes, like it sounds, that sounds like a very elementary thing and something everyone should know. But, you know, growing up in Lancaster, I never realized that you could be the person who makes the clothes that gets sold in the store. I thought mm-hmm. only Nike could do that or only you know, Gucci could do that or Balenciaga could do that. The barrier to entry was so high to you at that time. Yeah, I didn't understand that there was people who just had their store and maybe they weren't making $100 million in sales a year selling all around the world. But even if they were just selling locally, they had their own business and they had their own ideas and they were bringing them to reality. It wasn't just something in their mind anymore. And when I realized I could do that and there was just an opportunity that was presented... I had to just take it because, like I said, I, I never want to. I never wanted to live a life of regret. There was too many people around me growing up, and even you know people I associated with either in the past or today. And I hear them say, "I wish I would have did this. I wish this was different. Oh, if I could have done things differently." And that type of life just never seemed attractive to me. I never. I didn't care if anyone would get angry if I made my own decision or if someone would look at me different or anything. It was just, this is what I want to do. This is my goal. I'm going to accomplish that goal and just continue on with life. And I think anyone that's an entrepreneur needs to have that thick skin and that solidarity of vision where you said, above all else, I'm living the vision for my life that I have. Exactly. And that's, uh, I would say, a cornerstone fundamental trait of an entrepreneur. So you were maybe 18 when you started your own business, around that age. Yeah, yeah, 18 years old, I put out my first T-shirt with... How did that with, feel with to get your first Victor, Victor Sandino? Shout out you, brother. To to finish your first project, to finish your first product that you brought to market, 
Like describe that feeling versus just a year prior being a kickboxer. Were there similarities? Definitely. And that's what, that's what I love about just where I'm at in my life and the things that I've chosen to do is, you know, if you would ask somebody fighting and, and fashion designer or just design in general, cause that's how I like to look at it. It's cause not only am I just making clothes, but I'm 24, but as I've matured as a person and as my mind has matured, it's not even just so much about, okay, I'm going to design a jacket and some pants and a bag or a t-shirt. It's how, like, I'm trying to design my own reality. You know, I'm trying, I'm not trying, this is what I'm doing. I'm designing things that, you know, people around me are going to wear, other people around the world are going to wear. It's, you know, you create your own reality. It's an idea. It's, you know, like how people have a movie and there's, you know, this is the costume design, but we're going to go rent it from a store. It's, and then we return it when the movie's over. But that's not what it is. My real life is a movie, and I'm just making everything that everyone wears and everyone consumes and everyone carries around in my movie. Hmm. And when it's, you know, like I, like I just said, people think that design and fighting are so different. But So would you but, say that you're Mr. Producer? <laughs> you could say that. You <laughs> okay. could say that. Mr. Producer. Foreshadowing. Top G. Top, top J. Top J. Yes, sir. Free, <laughs> free Andrew Tate. Free Tristan Tate. But to that people, point, though, people people think that fighting and design are so different. But I explained this to a friend of mine before, and I said I love them because they seem so different, but it's the same exact thing. That that supreme focus that's needed to sit down in front of a sewing machine for two hours just to make one jacket, a single jacket. You have all the fabric, and that's not even counting into going to the store to buy it. That's not counting in the sketches or all the ideas time where I'm sitting there brainstorming or getting inspiration from watching movies and listening to speeches and consuming documentaries. It doesn't count cutting patterns and all the samples that are made just to sit down and make the final product. If it might take me two or two and a half hours, just that, all that focus, and then that final release, that feeling of, of accomplishment when you're done and you see the product in front of you, it's slow and monotonous. You know, do, do, do the sewing machine. You see the needle go in and out every single time. But it's the same exact feeling as even when you have a two or three minute round and you're, you're throwing down, you're throwing punches, kicks and knees with someone and everything is a split second decision going on in your brain. Half second decision, quarter second decision. Interesting. It's the same exact thing. It's just complete opposite ends of the spectrum. It's very slow when it comes to design, in my opinion, but when then fighting, it's very fast paced. But I love that. I love the opposites. It's like the it's compliment. It's martial versus Venusian arts. So martial is after the god of war, Mars. So when you think of martial art, it's the expression of force. Mm. Venusian, uh, the goddess Venus, is the goddess of love. Okay. So what that means is the expression of love or the expression of like seduction. So when I think of when you're talking about like the fine arts or that like of music and like fashion, Venusian arts, mm. talking about expressions of like martial arts and fighting, you know, it's force and love at the same time. It's war and love at the same time. They're both beautiful. Fighting, In their own way. Fighting is beautiful. Design is beautiful. And they're both art forms. The, the beautiful and the sublime. Exactly. Um, so it's crazy that you – how many different collections did you release in seven years? Um, three. Three collections. Three full collections, 100% yes. you. Full cut and sewn, 
ideas, designs, patterns, fabric sourcing, dyeing, sewing, product shots, photo shoots, website design, everything myself, yes. Three full collections. And then slight t-shirt drops here and there. Maybe I did collaborations with someone else here and there, but under the Jake Kelly name, the Jake Kelly brand, three full collections. Currently working on the fourth. And you had other brands that weren't just the Jake Kelly. Yeah, like so I said. So you started in you started several brands. So yeah, the first the first thing I did it was a collaboration with my friend uh, Victor Sandino. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we released a couple collections, just some t-shirts, some hoodies. Did a few slight cut and sew pants, which is, I mean, he's the one who really taught me how to sew. So I'll always you know be very fortunate for that friendship. And then just some other projects throughout college that I worked on. Screen, learning how to screen print, learning, you know, more networking and communication. And that's where I really started doing like video editing and photo editing. And that's where I started building websites. And then when I graduated school, it was, you know, it was, do I want to just be another streetwear brand that makes just printed t-shirts for the rest of my life? And I ultimately knew that that isn't what I wanted to do. That's not what I was initially attracted to when I first got introduced to clothing and art and design so that's you know I, I made the decision then to drop everything else and then now it's it's Jake Kelly it's what it is mm-hmm. and that's that's what I personal created brand under. exactly um so how much of what you did because you named off a lot of different skills you had to acquire in order to complete the project mm-hmm. so you tailored what you did and what skills you acquired based on the necessity if I'm going to do this all on my own, I need to be proficient or excellent at these certain things. Yes. How many of those were instructed to you by your school or how many of those were self-imposed? That's a great question. So very little I learned at school. Honestly, the main thing that I learned while attending school out in California was more networking and honestly problem solving because you know, you would be assigned homework or projects or things to do. And it mainly was just about how am I able to communicate with people that I'm probably, I never communicated with with them before this class and I'll most likely never communicate Mm -hmm. with them after this class, but we have a goal in front of us and we have a problem and how can we all work together to, you know, solve that problem and get a final product, even if that's, you know, a paper. I like to think of things as products, you know, everything is a final product at the end of the day. Right. So how could we create the final product? But I never had a class on screen printing or sewing or website design or video production or anything like that. It was all just, you know, a lot of YouTube, watching YouTube. And then I'm going to go buy a camera. I'm going to go take some pictures. I'm going to edit them. If I like them, I like them. I'm going to ask people around me if they like them, get their criticism, and then just continue working. A lot of trial and error. That's kind of how I work. So... The majority of what it took for you to to produce was self learn, yes. And the schooling aspect was more or less the, a cultural uh, deep dive into peers that presumably had similar goals and aspirations mm-hmm. in a similar location, which was Los Angeles. Yes, but it was, and it, but it was also. See, it's like, do I regret going to school? No. But do I think that the the subject matter and the quote-unquote knowledge that was given was worth the money? No. (laughs) 
Also, no. But it's, yes. No, I don't think that the knowledge that was given by the school was worth it because I learned more off of YouTube and Google. But it was kind of like what you said, diving into all the different cultures and seeing people. Like, you know, I made friends. uh, He was from Indonesia. His name was Clement. And he barely spoke English. But we were, you know, we were friends and we had that common interest that was clothing. But then, you know, we would tell each other about family and what it was like growing up in Indonesia. And I would tell him what it was like growing up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And he told me how his family, they had a, you know, like like a fish farm. You ever see the videos where, like, they throw the bucket of fish in the big pond and there's a million fish in, like, a hundred square feet? Like, that's what his family did over there. And that was mind-blowing because I only see videos like that on online. Mm-hmm. But he would tell me like that, and then I would tell him about, you know, what it's like growing up in Lancaster horse and, and how buggies. horse and buggies and Amish people and how it's a very relaxed way of life and just that kind of perspective how the perspective that I grew up around and you know those type of relationships like that's almost priceless because mm-hmm. there's no one else I, I'm 24 and I don't know anyone else who's met the type of people that I've met that's had the type of experiences that I've had and has the type of perspective on life that I have and that's why sometimes I'll talk to people and they they say oh you're very confrontational or you're so problematic with how you speak or why are you so opinionated? And I'm, and my response is just, one, you're a bot. And two, <laughs> you haven't experienced what I've experienced. I've, I've been to Canada. I've been to Mexico. I've been all around the United States. I've met people from all around the world. Like, and I'm only 24 years old. I haven't even lived a quarter of my life yet. And I already have these experiences. Well, you were knocking out adults in your teenage years. Yeah, on Friday think, nights for fun. I, I think that in and of itself is a unique experience that 99.9% of people can't relate to. Mm-hmm. Even if they participate in combat sports, to the degree in which yet you participated, that's not seen. State qualifier, wrestler in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then undefeated kickboxer. Correct. Simultaneously. Correct. That At that time, in that place... In that uh, area, I mean, Philadelphia is known for boxers and Pennsylvania is known for wrestlers. Mm-hmm. But usually people don't do both. Correct. Right. So you were, you were juggling both while starting your own fashion company. Mm-hmm. So I think the but anomaly see, it was would be, still I still – it was – I had ideas to make clothes, but I didn't start anything in high school. It was – that was the thing. Like I had to make that decision. Do I want to not – pursue this or maybe I could pursue making clothes but how am I going to get the information I I understand now that yeah maybe I could have found some stuff on YouTube or just the internet in general but I wouldn't have had you know those experiences of different cultures or different perspectives of people from all around the world or just you know Los Angeles is a crazy city there's so much stuff there you get to learn international hub yeah you learn so much every single day being out there whereas the manufacturing relationships you develop where you're living I had some manufacturing relationships just a few years ago from the Amish. Mm-hmm. But that wouldn't have gotten you closer to your goal. It would have taken you how to use their method, which would be confined to a very specific niche. And I wouldn't have been able, like, maybe, I mean, I'm sure someone could make the case that, oh, yes, you could. But I know for a fact I wouldn't have been able, how I stated earlier, all the skills that I learned and that I taught myself when it came to making a, a clothing brand and into designing. I wouldn't have been able to do that if, for these past five years, I was still kickboxing and wrestling and doing mm. MMA because you like, had to choose. people don't understand how much time I literally put in that. There was times 
where I would wake up, have coffee, go on a walk in the morning, listen to some Kanye, get my mind ready, and all day I would be sitting inside, pattern after pattern after pattern, sample after sample after sample, sewing. Oh, a needle breaks. Okay, I have to go downtown. I gotta go to the I gotta go to the sewing supply store. I gotta buy needles. I gotta buy thread. I gotta do this. Gotta go home. Gotta you know like it was just so much time that went into it, and because I'm such a focused individual and I don't care what anyone says or anyone's opinion and that if I have a goal, I'm just going to go and accomplish it. Everything that I learned in five years, I feel like it would have taken someone else seven, eight, even 10 years to learn. Like it was, it's every facet of that whole entire industry, but I, I do it. I did it. You know, like I know how to do it. If it's a stylist, I understand that concept. If it's graphic design, I understand that. If it's sewing, I understand that. If mm. it's web production, I understand that. Like everything that people go to school and cater specifically for, for that one skill and what becomes yeah. their career for the next 50 years of their life, I know how to do. And that's what I feel makes me such a valuable individual. A Swiss Army knife. And exactly, that's a great. That's a that's a great. I like that. And but also what I think was maybe caused like some rifts between some relationships I have is I like I understood what people what their career was better than what they did because I actually had so much firsthand experience and I wasn't being walked through the industry by someone. I had to go out into Los right. Angeles, a city that I'm not a native in. I look a lot different than everyone else in there, especially the areas I was in and like the crowds I was in. And I had to go and just take my skills and present my skills and be, you know, like try and be accepted by these people and work amongst these people. And yeah, people didn't like that I was so confident in myself. It's like people don't like when they people don't like when you know your worth. They don't they don't appreciate when you know how special you are and how capable of an individual of an individual you are because it's abnormal. When exactly. you look when you look at a standardized uh distribution or a bell curve and you see people that are on fringes, it, it's not close to the the peak or the mound, the begin in the middle. Exactly. So fringe characters typically, I don't know how to say in. it. They don't, they don't, they don't quote in. unquote fit in. There's yeah. a story by Kurt Vonnegut called Harrison Bergeron and Harrison Bergeron, the idea of this story, I believe it was published in the fifties, sixties was that Harrison Bergeron was six foot 10 and you know, handsome, intelligent. And they society put all these shackles to make him have a hunchback and put a, um, a radio in his ear so that he'd always has a constant buzzing and he couldn't think clearly. And the idea of the story was society could handle him when he was quote unquote tamed. But once the shackles came off and he was unencumbered, people were afraid of him. And that's exactly what it is. Like we mentioned earlier, Andrew Tate, you have, if you know who you are as an individual, you have to resist that slave mind mentality. Mm-hmm. You cannot just go along and fit in with the crowd and be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand. You have to stand up. You have to have morals to stand on. You have to be an individual. And if you have to fight, you have to fight. And that could be in any sense. You know, that doesn't have to be physical yeah, combat. But that in life, you have to fight. Stand your ground and create boundaries and reinforce the boundaries. That's why I will forever respect people like Andrew Tate, Tristan Tate. That's why I'll always respect Ye. That's why I respect Nick Fuentes. That's why when he says do not... Do not follow the Z-O-G. I will not follow the Z-O-G that is running America. You know, there's like there's just so much stuff that, that goes on that 
you have you have to not just follow along. You cannot if someone's telling you something and they're trying to force something upon you and they're telling you to be something or they're telling you you have to think like this and if you think like this it's wrong. You need to always question that. You need to not be scared and you need to just push forward and and have some morals and have some belief and just stand on that. You can't fold. So to piggyback off that statement, when did you make the decision it was time to leave LA? Like, because you went through these three collections and starting your own business and you went through all that. COVID happened. I'm sure LA was a, a much different place before and after this uh, global pandemic. 100%. Whereas, you know, I live in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, which was relatively unaffected. Yeah. Um, was it at that point where you were like, things are starting to get hairy? Or, or how, how did you make that mentality shift that you were going to seek uh, a new chapter? Or when did you know the old chapter was over? So, yes. COVID was definitely a factor in that. I started towards the end of 2021 and like September of 2021. I started working for Nike mm. at uh, one of their retail stores in Santa Monica. And even when you're at the lowest level of the corporate ladder, that corporate control still gets pushed on you every single day. And, you know, once they started, like, COVID was done, in a sense, you know, like, there was Lancaster and Lebanon, like, people are walking around, people were walking around without masks on in 2020, like, the year that it broke out in the world, like, Mm -hmm. people were, they were over it, they understood what it was, but in that giant city, they were just forcing you. They were just putting so much control on you to, you know, follow the orders. You need to do this. You need to do that. And once we were in 2022 and they're still telling us, oh, someone had a cold. You need to wear a mask or, oh, this person's called out of work twice this week. We don't even know if they're sick, but now we have to wear masks for two weeks. And they're trying to just force you to get the vaccine and they're trying to force you to do all these different things. That made me really want to leave that job. Because mm. I liked it and it's applied a lot. But then, you know, you need you need a, a vaccine card to go to a concert or go to a restaurant or you wear a mask to the restaurant. You could take it off when you sit down. You got to put it on to go to the bathroom and then you can take it off when you come back to your seat. It's like it doesn't make any sense, mm. you know. So that was something that definitely made me want to leave was I just don't want to be controlled by something that I know isn't as bad as it actually is, especially not for me, someone who's a fit 24 year old man. But then also, well, for you, who's not like for those that are 75 with diabetes and prior health history, whatever. But that is a different category of an individual and not to than a high level athlete. And those and if you're 75 or 80 years old, you're morbidly obese. You're you're already going to get sick. You're already going to have more Mm -hmm. health problems than anyone else, even if COVID didn't exist. If you're morbidly obese you're going to just have more health problems than someone who is in shape. That's just scientifically proven. You know, that's just a fact. Get out of your feelings. You do not think with emotion. You need to be logical. You need to read a study, listen to a, someone who actually puts their life into this, or just look around. You know, just look around, use logic, and you know that that's true. But then something else was just the, the people that I was surrounded with out there, people I went to school with, you know, I thought that we were closer friends than we actually were. I always, you know, I'm a very loyal individual. And I always thought that that's just how, if you you gave that out, I thought it was always going to be reciprocated. But then 
you know, people slip up, people say things that they wish that they didn't say, and they tell you information that they weren't supposed to tell you, and you find things out, and it just came to find out that the people I was around were not as loyal as I was being, and I just don't take kindly to disrespect. If we live in the same apartment together, and you don't treat me like you treat the other people living in that apartment, I'm not going to accept that. Mm. So, so I there just, was like a, almost a cultural... Uh, issue between the peers yes 100 percent. it was yeah no matter how much then i tried to like i said just be loyal and respectful and just treat everybody the exact same that was not given back your your values were not shared values amongst the peer group 100 percent. so at that certain you know combination between societal values and peer group values it made sense for you to kind of reevaluate the uh the uh, asset inventory list, if you will. Yes. Of all the things that you have going on and all of the things that you value, you know, where would your uh, assets or skill set be most, you know, suitably used? I woke up one day, the sun was shining, the birds were chirping, and I had a revelation. I realized that Los Angeles is not where I was meant to be. The experience was great. I would not change it for the world. But that is not where I meant to spend my life. And the people that I was around are not the people that I am meant to be around. So I had to make the conscious decision. All right. With what I have available to me right now, my assets, my current resources, I need to move back to Lancaster. I need to continue designing, continue creating the reality that I want. I started training kickboxing at a gym out there for maybe two or three months prior to when I moved back. And when I joined that gym and started training and kind of re-realized the skill level that I was at, where I was at, at the t- on the totem pole, I wanted to compete again. You had that itch. 100%. And it was something that I would always say, but I told myself, like, I need to get a job. I need more money. So, not even more money. I just need enough money so I can pay for everything I need to, and then I can get a gym membership. Mm-hmm. But I also, I moved out there to make clothes and learn how to make clothes and everything. So I needed to put that as my priority first off. So then when I was able to join that gym and yeah, I got that itch again and I wanted to fight. I was like, okay, there's a, there's a a Muay Thai tournament coming up out there. I was like, okay, I'm going to register for that. There's a couple people at the gym doing it. But then what really made me decide that I do not want to continue living out here and I don't want to, train at this gym or fight at this gym was so I'm right-handed okay Mm -hmm. I've always been an orthodox fighter I believe my trainers previous believe you know you should be able to fight in both stances it's like any sport you should be able to use your right and left hand but when I joined this gym out in California I went in and told them I was left-handed so everything I did I did southpaw because I just you know I just wanted to see I know Sammy Schilt like legendary kickboxer he he was a southpaw, but he was actually right-handed, and his trick that he didn't tell anyone until he retired was that he was right-handed, and he would always knock people out with his jab. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull a Sammy Schilt and go into this gym and tell everyone I'm left-handed, but I'm right-handed. And when I did that, and after about maybe my third or fourth day of class, the coach who used to fight on a Team Fairtex, when he would have me demonstrate all the drills southpaw for the class, that's when I realized that I did not need to train at this gym anymore when I had more knowledge than the coach. All respect to that man, but I needed to come back. So you were, you were the Yuki, you were the instructor, 
Southpaw. After four days of being there. Bro. That's fucked. Yes. And like I said, all That's respect fucked. to that gym, but I do not need... If I'm not comfortable... Going into a fight with the coach who's going to be in my corner, like that's. I'm sure there are some great fighters out of LA. Not that I know, I don't know any off the top of my head, but one of the things for those of you that are listening that aren't necessarily fight fans that you need to know is one, Philadelphia breeds boxers. Correct. Two, Pennsylvania is the hotbed of wrestling in the United States and almost the world. Mm-hmm. True. So three, you combine both of those things. And you go to a place that may or may not be for fighting, it gets real, real, real quick. And we're just tough. Like, Pennsylvania breeds tough people. You have extremely hot and humid summers. You have extremely cold winters where it snows. The wind chill will get down to zero degrees, negative degrees throughout the winter. It's one of the wettest places in the country. You have all four seasons, but it's you get the most drastic of those seasons. It's super rainy and windy in the spring. It's so windy and cold in the fall. It's freezing and snowing in the winter, and it's humid Allergies, and hot in the summer. The amount of the fertility and plant life. It's all blue collar. You have collar. to smell literal feces. Yes. And the pollen is enough to drive out half the people that would want to live here anyway. Exactly. It's a very blue collar working town. You always have to work for what you want. It's it's almost very like different an, than L.A. It's almost an old school way of living. Yes, very different than Los Angeles and. That's the type of people that you want to be around if you're going to fight. Because especially nowadays in the world, people are soft. And if you are just even 1% tougher than all these people, and I know I'm 1,000% tougher than all these people, but if you are only slightly tougher, you will demolish these people in the gym. When I was training in California, there was two guys in there, two friends, and they had multiple kickboxing fights. One of them was 4-0, one of them was 3-0, and they were about to go to Thailand, about to train in Phuket, and we're sparring. And, you know, like I said, okay, so the, we're sparring out there and the one guy, quote, rolls his ankle, which I don't understand how you can roll your ankle when you're still on both of your feet and the round is over, but they both quit when we're about to spar and they're just talking then about how they're going to go to Thailand, how they're going to beat people up, how they're doing this, that. And I'm like, you guys, you don't even want to spar. In L.A. You don't even want to spar. And I'm the only other person there who had fights. Like, the other people, there was old men in there. There's people who they do it, they literally say they do it just for fit. Sure. To be fit. for That's exercise, fine. Which is great. But but not for competitive. You guys are wearing means. the tie trunks. You're wearing the Muay Thai tank tops. They're you're, decked I'm, out. I'm going to Phuket. I'm training a Tiger Muay Thai. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But you get beat up from someone who their first day at your gym comes in on a sparring day. I was smoking. I was doing drugs like every six, day. Six I was drinking off, all five the time. Years off. Yeah, and I come in and just mop the floor with you guys. That's where I said I realized where I'm at on the totem pole. So for those that don't know, Jake's older brother is a professional fighter. Yes, Zach Kelly. The so, so Zach it is a seasoned uh, – Kickboxing instructor, MMA instructor, professional MMA fighter, professional kickboxer, and around the same size. Yeah. So he's a great training partner. Within about 10 pounds of each other. Yeah. Yeah. The best training partner. My older brother of seven years, he's been training, you know, maybe half a decade, a decade longer than me. So he has a lot of, a lot more experience. One of the best fight IQs at any level in the game that I've ever seen. And out of any sport, whether that was wrestling, when I played football or lacrosse or boxing, kickboxing, anything like that, he's the best coach I've ever had. And I think 
anyone who's trained underneath him would say the exact same thing. I just don't want to spar with him. <laughs> he will knock you unconscious. Yeah. yeah, that if you want to have a long and healthy career, just don't sign up to be his like main sparring partner. That's my thing. But if you want to um, get a lot better, trial by fire, do or die, then yes, sign up and compete. But I think it's the quality of your training partners versus the quantity. Yes. So having better training partners at your disposal, we would attract – I don't know how many UFC fighters I've personally met because of training with Zach. So uh, unbelievable. So now you're back in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Correct. You're back training with Zach. Correct. And you have a fight coming up. March 18th in Newark, Delaware. Kickboxing. Which Turning to the ring. Which uh, promotion? USK. United States Kickboxing Association? I believe so, yeah. Right. So that's like the main kickboxing association in the United States, right? Yes, or at least on the East Coast. I know there's other promotions pretty big, but yeah, East Coast, one of the biggest for sure. Yeah. You're excited. What weight class? I'm excited. Uh, 180? 180. 180. Man bulked up a little bit. I ain't no small fry anymore. Hey, you're not a teenager. Hell no. No. Grown man. Grown man. So... When it comes to kickboxing, how does people like Andrew Tate, who I would say in the space that he's in, I mean, entrepreneur, owns many businesses, mm-hmm. but he was the mo- his claim to fame, um, other than his like business endeavors or his quote unquote controversy, is that he was indisputably the most Googled man, Googled yes. search term on Google last year. Yes. And he credits his martial arts upbringing, his, both with chess and with uh, kickboxing. Mm-hmm. He's a, he was a four-time world champion kickboxer. Mm-hmm. So what similarities do you think you share with the Tate brothers, between the Kelly bros and the Tate bros? First and foremost, it's definitely the mindset. I mean, when you, when you fight, anything else in life is easier because there's nothing... Nothing else is going to punch you in the face or try and kick you in the head. Nothing is doing that. So if you, even if you, even if you just train and even if you spar, you understand that no, almost no situation that is going to happen to you. Very few people ever experience physical altercation in their lifetime. And if you experience that, especially willingly, everything in life becomes much easier. Those experience, but it, and, and mentally it just makes you it makes you so tough. It makes you so strong. And man, it's it's almost hard to put into words because it's just Well, because you both the both of you brothers, there's two brothers that mm-hmm. both trained with each other, fought with each other, grew up with each yes. other, but had that same like uh, mentality where the loyalty that is there. Like you have you know, they were each other's main training partner. So as with you and Zach. See, I could say, okay, two things I could say from that. One, yes, the loyalty factor. Because I know if I'm training with my brother, especially he has a fight coming up, I have a fight coming up. But I can't go 80% and he needs to go 100%. I have to go just as hard as him and he has to go just as hard as me. I have to always push him till he can get to his max potential. Mm-hmm. And he will always push me to my max potential. I would never let him take a round off. He would never let me take a round off. I've ma- I have told myself, it's ingrained in my brain, I cannot lose in front of my brother. Mm. I cannot. Because not only is that going to make me upset with myself, but that is the ultimate form of disrespect. He has put in so much time and effort into me 
and making me not only a better fighter, but a better man. How could I lose a kickboxing fight in front of him? I'm not only representing myself, but I'm representing him. So it just, it's, it's so much motivation. Well, something else I've just been telling myself is, you know, everyone, the whole country, the whole world, everyone's been scared. Everyone has been scared of things, whether it's this, this disease that's been out there, the sickness, or whether it's people, are, people will sign up for a fight and then they're scared to fight. My brother and I, we just say to each other, no fear. You can't be scared of anything. Nothing can scare you. You're fearful of nothing. You just have to be unstoppable. You're, nothing can beat you. No man can beat you. You step in there, you will always be victorious. Just no fear. No fear ever. So I don't the, believe in it. I don't the believe motivation, in the fear. mindset yes. is what you think is the, the main takeaway or similarity between you know, having the, this, this relationship, this fight family, this higher, almost like, almost like samurai code of ethics. It's even more than going to the gym and having you know, a group of great training partners because everyone that we train with at Gracie 717, is they're all amazing training partners. But like you said, it's... You're like samurais, man. That's my brother. Like, mm-hmm. that's not, it's not my friend who we started kickboxing together. It's not someone I met at the gym. Like, that's my brother. Same parents, grew up in the same house, experienced everything in our lives together. Like, that's my brother. There's nothing that can break that bond, that trust, that loyalty. That's why I know I can't lose because he's in my, like, he, if he's in my corner and I'm in his corner, why would we ever say anything that isn't going to work or that isn't that like we know each other better than anyone when we spar it's amazing to watch spar and i love when people will come up and say this after because we have to perform at such a high level because we know everything about each other Mm. whether that's personally or whether that's as a fighter like in the ring our skill set we know everything so it just pushes us so much and since being back these past few months and training with him you know, four or five times a week, the leaps and bounds that him and I have made, it's, it's incredible. And he steps into the ring on February 18th and I step in the ring on March 18th. Easy money, easy money. So let's, let's vision cast March 18th. Jay Kelly gets his hand raised. Absolutely. So now you're four and kickboxing. Yes, sir. At what point do you say I'm going to be a professional fighter what's or good? what's, what's the, what's the vision you have for the future? So it's kickboxing. March, victorious. Mm-hmm. May, victorious. August, fight at the national tournament, victorious. After the national tournament, I will go to the world tor- world tournament, victorious. Next so year, world championship within a year. Yes. Next year, go to Thailand. And after that, we'll just see how it plays out. There you go. So international within one year. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. World champion within one year. Yes, sir. Easy money. Well, I, yeah, I'm, uh, I would say I'm speechless, but I also have seen you train. I've seen you fight. And you need to say it. You need to say it and you need to say it confidently and you need to believe it. It's not just, it's not just words that come out. It's true belief. Like I said, Ye believes everything that he says. And that that has been my biggest life instructor since the third grade. And if you believe it, 
It sounds corny, but if you believe it and you stay focused on it, you will accomplish it. You will bring it to fruition. You will create it in your reality. And if you have a goal and it's all that you think about from the second you wake up till you go to sleep, and then the next day, the second you wake up till you go to sleep, it will become true because you will make it become true. But you, obviously you have to put in the work. I have to be in the gym five, six days a week, two times a day, running, going to the gym, lifting, film study, all of that. But if you put, you put in the work, obviously you're going to have the outcome that you want. It's like anything. You study for a test, you get a better grade than if you don't study for a test. Not everyone can not study and you might get a good grade here or there, but you're not going to get as good of grades as if you are always somebody who studies and puts in the maximum effort. And life is the same exact way. focus as well. Exactly. Life is the same way. You put in the work and the amount of work that you put in, that's what you get out. That's a great takeaway from Andrew Tate as well. He always says, you know, I work so hard. I have so many things going on, but I've built my empire. He's built where he is in life. He became a four-time kickboxing world champion, which then led him to meet certain people, which led him to different avenues, which led him to be able to join and start different businesses, which made him incredibly a nine-figure net worth man, which made him the most Googled man in the world, which then brought him to martyr status and icon status. Like Everything that you put out, you will receive. Um... March 18th. March 18th. Step one. Yes, sir. International within a year. For anyone that's listening, check out Jake Kelly on social media. At Jake Kelly, J-A-K-E-K-E-L-L-Y with four underscores on Instagram and Twitter. You could also follow my work page. It's jakekelly.archive. And then if you would like to support, I will always have product for sale. jakekelly.online. So buy his, buy his product, support the mission, follow the mission, spread awareness towards it. Look me up on YouTube as well. Look him up on YouTube as well. Jake, whether you go to Thailand to become a kickboxer or you start a factory, whichever avenue you choose, as long as you keep this unmatched mental fortitude coupled with your perspective, you'll be a formidable opponent amongst any endeavor exactly free andrew tate free tristan tate free jeffrey williams yay ain't crazy and nick fuentes for president jake kelly lives forever i would assume that's jake kelly signing off jake thanks so much for coming over for the podcast and everyone listening like and subscribe please share thank you ross